Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now enjoy this conversation with Joff Metz. All right, Joff, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I'm excited to hear more about your story. All right. Me too. So from Idaho to Oregon, uh, can you share one or two stories from your childhood? Yeah. So I started the fourth grade in Boise. Okay. We moved there from Redmond. My dad got a job there. And then I went through high school and actually started at BSU. And then I just got, you know, so burned out on like, I really wanted to get out yeah. of Boise and just do something else. Yeah. You know? So I went up to, uh, to Moscow, the University of Idaho, and was there for a while and, and graduated. And it was, it was a wonderful experience, um, you know, but it's a, it's a pretty small college town. And I couldn't really stay there because there's, you know, I'd already kind of peaked to some degree. You know, I mean, like I'd kind of done everything that you could do musically and otherwise. I had my degree and I was just like, well, I'm, I don't want to go back to Boise. So really good friend of mine from high school who was also a college roommate for a while. Um, he got a job in Portland and I had some extended family and I was really looking at like, you know, Seattle or Portland or, you know, maybe I'll go to LA, you know, all that stuff. And I just took that call as like sort of a sign, you know, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to make a stand in Portland. And, and that's really how I treated it. I was like, I'm just going to go there. And like in this time and like in my twenties, like where I was really, you know, wanting to play music and I just do that. I wound up here and it, it's been, it's been wonderful. Like the city has been really cool to me. I met a lot of cool people. I've had a lot of wonderful experiences and I, I look back on it now and it's like, man, you know, like I've been able to do things that I, I just wouldn't have been able to do if I stayed in Idaho, you know, and sure. It feels good. Yeah. I, mean, I like to visit. It's cool. Like, I got a lot of great friends there and a lot of great memories. But I mean, I feel like this was where I need to be, you know? Portland was more prepared for Joff. Yeah, you know. <laughs> or vice versa. Well, and I, I think, I think too, there's a part of it, like, in some respects, I think it was a great fit for everybody. Because, you know, having visited some larger cities in America, like New York or, yeah. or even Seattle, yeah. I, I think, like, feels way different than Portland. And True. I... I, I I dig Seattle and, you know, and San Francisco and LA and all that stuff. But, you know, for the everyday, like daily driver, like, I mean, I love Portland. Yeah. It's cool. I always tell people like, it's big enough that you can find like any kind of trouble that you want. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, if, if you're wanting to know what time it is or you're lost and wanted some directions, like by and large, man, everybody's super cool. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, to its credit, and I now being here for a long time, and this is the longest that I've ever lived anywhere. Okay. You know that. You know, I feel like it's my turn to maybe tell somebody what time it is or whatever. You know, <laughs> there I mean, you to, go. to kind of yeah, uh, you know, pass it on. You know, and and help out. Be one of the cool people there. I well, like it. Or just yeah. you know, be one of the people that you know is is cool and friendly and makes the town what it is, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So can you tell us a couple of stories from your childhood growing up and kind of when you started learning music? Uh, yeah. So I, I got a, I bugged my parents for a guitar when I was like five or six. And, and the way that they kind of retell the story, I had bugged them long enough that they knew it wasn't just a whim. Like I saw something on TV and was like, Oh, what that? So they got me guitar. Neither of my parents play music. I'm the oldest child, 
And so there was nobody really looked to look to. My parents bought me a guitar and handed it to me like it was like a toy truck. Like, hey, play your guitar. <laughs> and looking back on it, they just really didn't know. Sure. I didn't do much with it. I don't know, a year or two later, they got rid of it. But by the time I was 12, now, you know, I mean, I... I was old enough that I had friends that played. I wanted to do that yeah. for all. I think probably the same reasons that I did at five or six, but you know now I was also like watching MTV and I was like, man, I want to play guitar. That looks awesome. You watch those videos, man, and it looks fun to be in a band. Yeah. And it looks fun to watch Hard Day's Night. Like I was like, yeah, I want to. I want like three or four friends that are awesome and chicks to chase us around. Like that sounds wonderful. Sign me up. So. By the time that happened, I, I kind of tried to teach myself or like, you know, whatever my friends would learn, you know, I mean, like before the Internet. So like yeah. if somebody got a copy of Guitar Player for the Practicing Musician um, or, you know, whatever it was, anything. Yeah. It was like super exciting. Somebody figured out how to play, you know, Heartbreaker or something. Yeah. You know, or you, and it's usually just parts of songs. And you're like, sure. oh, cool. I, Black I, Dog I Riff it. or something. But, uh, yeah. yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, that was kind of the thing for me like and I was listening to a lot of like classic rock on the radio or like you know what was I guess now is classic rock but it was just the rock station and they would play some stuff from the 70s and sure whatever and then a lot of MTV like you know we had cable and now you know I'm like 11 or 12 and I'm like yeah you know like this is awesome right so yeah yeah when did you start taking lessons I didn't start taking lessons until I was in high school. So I had been playing for a while and was really enjoying it. And really, in that process, I, I was finding myself. I mean, I was finding my niche. I was finding my tribe of people and things that I cared about. And it was a big discovery. And it was something that, you know, my, my family was supportive. But, they, you know, they just they didn't, didn't know. Didn't quite I, get it. <laughs> well, and, and I, I got a funny story about that I should tell you later. But, but you know, the thing of it was, like, it was super cool they just didn't know to even say like, hey, you're liking this. Why don't we get you some lessons so you right. don't have to reinvent the wheel? You know, they just, I don't think they really got it. So by the time I hit high school, I had friends that were taking lessons. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So we can just like go to a music store and there are people there that will show you how to do this. And I had a really cool guitar teacher who like, it was such a positive experience for me, like hanging out in that guitar shop getting to know those guys, you know, mm -hmm. to where you come in and go, hey, Jeff, how you, how you doing? And they, like, show me cool stuff about gear. I mean, it just, when those guys would talk about, like, oh, I got a show this Friday, whatever, you know I mean? Like, I, there's no way I could go. I mean, I wasn't old enough. Right. There were no, like, all-ages places in, you know, Boise, like, in the 80s, you know, or the 90s, really. <laughs> but, you know, that, that made a big imprint on me, too, that, like, man, hang out here, you can talk about music all day. Yeah. Like, People are genuinely interested and they know what you're talking about where, yeah. you know, my family really didn't. And I started, you know, like started to branch out on my own. So sure. it was a, a real discovery as much about music as it was about myself, too, about like, man, I really like this. You know, definitely wonderful. Yeah. Can you tell us about the bands that you've worked with past, present and future? Sure, sure. So I never really got much going while I was in high school I mean I tried and I you know I sat in I had some friends that had a, a pretty good band um in high school and sat in with them and was trying to put stuff together but it was so early on you know by the time I got to college and started like going to music school and taking those classes and 
and meeting people that were in music school that were more serious about it. They knew how to run a rehearsal. They knew, you know, it was serious and they were starting to treat it, you know, like, like, yeah, we're going to get, you know, we're going to learn this many songs. We're going to have enough material to play a night or play a set or whatever. And so that was a wonderful time as well. You know, like in, in playing in a handful of, you know, different groups, I wound up getting like putting together a group that got this really coveted, like one of two like house gig situations where we were playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like four hours a night, like four 45 minute sets. We got to leave our gear there. Um, you know, we were making money. It was just the door, but we're looking back on it. It was probably the best job I could have had. I mean, it was like rock and roll college, man, right? Cause on the job training, right? Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was having to learn new songs every week we were, you know, negotiating the deal always, you know, like, because there were always bands that wanted our job, that thought they could draw more, or were telling the owner that they could draw more. And then, you know, the guy that owned the place was a super sleazy East Coast guy. And even that was fun, you know, like, I, I kind of embraced it all. I was like, yeah, you know, this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to meet all these weird characters. And I'm going to, you know, things aren't always going to go great, whatever, you know, like, but I don't know. I kind of embraced it all. The struggle, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, the good times, the bad times, because I wanted I wanted a life full of those stories like I would hear in the guitar shop. You know, people that had cool bands and they had had all this experience and they could weigh in if there was a conversation like, oh, yeah, I did that once, blah, blah, blah. And they could they could they had something to uh, to give in the conversation and they had all these experiences. So that was super cool. You know, so toward. Like coinciding with the end of college um, and, you know, sort of as everybody was splitting up in this band, you know, we gave up that job. I've stuck around for another, like till the end of May when my lease was up, you know, because it kind of coincided with the semester year, you know, everybody's lease ended in May and moved out to Portland. I played um, a lot of open mic nights because I didn't know anybody. (laughs) Um, And so... You know, like I was talking with the friend that I lived with and his friends, they they were all bartenders. So they took me to the green room, uh, you know, and that's where I met you. And, uh, you know, that's my example of like when you meet somebody, you never know who you're meeting, like who, you know, these people could be, you know, you meet them once and and you never see them again. Or like in your case, man, we've been working together for like 18 years. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, you know, I, I did that for a while. I played real briefly in this, this crazy, like, rockabilly band that was more of a show than it was a band. But, um, you know, after that, I decided to start my own band. And I, you know, the bass player from the rockabilly band had left. You know, he was leaving. And he was, like, my favorite. And he was, like, the best player in the band. And we got along. We listened to a lot of, like, same, like, punk rock music and stuff. So... I started this band called Western Ariel, and that wound up being like a three-piece um, with with me singing and playing guitar, and you know that that was a super cool experience. I mean, in that band, things happened pretty quick. Like, we we recorded something with, with some folks that I'd met through the open mic nights and started hanging out at the studio, and so we recorded like a three-song demo. We got it into K&RK. The first place that we ever got played was on Blackjack Radio, and Art Alexakis played us. And I, I would listen to his show because I knew that we submitted the stuff. I didn't know if he'd play us, but one day, I'll never forget, I was driving, 
across the Ross Island Bridge and he came on. He's like, hey, Blackjack Radio, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he said, this next band, I really like the singer. And I was just like blown away because, you know, a year before that, I was playing Everclear covers in my college band. And so like now I'm in Portland. I'm in this, you know, big city. Like for me, it might as well have been New York or something, right? right? Yeah. And, you know, that happened and, you know, with we were getting some radio play and it just expanded from there. And it was incredible. It was right what I was kind of looking for and hoping for. And, and at all of those steps along the way, you think, Oh, this is it. This is how it happens. You know, cause you, (laughs) cause you read all those, you know, documentaries or, you know, the uh, autobiographies, you see the documentaries and you know, there's always like this point where the band makes it right. right? It breaks. And, (laughs) One of the things that I realized in that was that it's it's really not like one moment. It's a series of things. Absolutely. So yeah, you can continue with Western Aerial. Okay, and, so uh, well, then, so we put out our own record and solidified the lineup, and it was it was a really good band. And I, I felt fortunate because finally I had like three guys that were like in it. You know, we were all right. single and like. Um, you know, it was on, like nobody had kids and we were just like, let's get a record deal. We were rehearsing a couple times a week. And at one point, I mean, we were playing, you know, 80 shows a year and, and we were getting radio play, you know, in, in a number of spots on the West coast. We didn't have like a record deal. We had, um, you were touring up and down the West coast as well. Oh yeah. And all through the Northwest, I mean, going back to Idaho and all over in Washington. And, you know, I mean, I was just after it, like, I remember um, we we got into this like uh, radio contest where like people would vote on the internet and whatever. And I had like my first cell phone, <laughs> right? And like I called so many of my friends like organically. Like this would never happen now, but like I called all those people, and all of a sudden I had like a three hundred dollar phone bill that I was like, what? You know? <laughs> but the, enough people, man, came out of the woodwork just people from back home and people here and everybody was just like going, you know, everybody, a five-star man, yeah. I was like hitting up everybody. And, um, and we get, we got in and next thing you know, man, we, we were opening for corn, you know, it was like 20,000 people. And, uh, and then we put out another record and, you know, we, we were, we got a bite from Sony. They came out to see us nice. and we played a bunch of cool, big shows and, you know, at, at every point, you know, you're like, okay, this is it. This is the one, you know. And it was it was a, an amazing experience. You know, we, we got to do a bunch of work for the Blazers, and we were on TV a bunch here locally and even nationally a few times. And, you know, I mean, at the point where, like, people start recognizing you in the grocery store or whatever, yeah. you know. Like, and it was it was pretty crazy and... um in in the best kind of way, right? You know, all of a sudden, like you know, there was like a a group of motorcycle enthusiasts. I'm not going to say a motorcycle gang because yeah. they don't much prefer that. But um, you know, like all of a sudden, we had those kind of people showing up. We were drawn huge in town. Everybody knew who we were. People were pointing to us as like you know, like yeah, these are the guys from Portland, and we were like on TV and stuff. And it was it was amazing. And you know, it kind of got to this point where you know, to fast forward five years. We didn't have a record deal. We had like people that looked after us. We had a distribution deal. We had a local attorney that handled stuff for us. But without a, a bunch of money to make it like a totally like self-sustaining thing, right? Um, you know, time moves on. Like I was working at the shop. I was teaching lessons. Like I, 
I, I was just doing music. Um, you know, the other guys, well, I mean, we all got married and by the end, you know, everybody had kids except me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that's, we, we finished up on a high note and we did a, a song for film soundtrack and I, we got to do this video and I got Ron Jeremy in it and it was killer. And I was like, all right, you know, and then, you know, we just kind of put that on sort of indefinite hold while, you know, everybody moved on. And then out of that, I started a band called Ants in the Kitchen that we still to this day just do covers, but it's a lot of cool, like stacks and Motown kind of stuff. And, yeah. and so we've got a, originally it was just uh guitar, bass, drums, and keys, which was something new for me. But then we, we got a, to make it sound more authentic and, and to make it an even bigger deal, we got a horn section and, and that band has been going on for a long time. And it was, I learned a ton about guitar playing because of that. You know, it was a different type of, you know, playing like guitar in a James Brown tune is way different yeah. than, you know, like an Aerosmith song sure. or Led Zeppelin or something. Because you get fined if you make mistakes. Well, yeah. that too. One <laughs> yeah, time. That's right. No, but, but, you know, I mean, it just, um, it, it was a, it was a great experience and all of a sudden, instead of being in this original band that was always trying to sell more records and go, 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 like the cover band thing was a great way for me at the end of that to kind of transition. And I was playing with great guys and still am, you know, and, and it's super fun to do that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a couple years into that, me and the bass player and the drummer from that band started a band called Mets, Ryan and Collins. And, and actually, the way that that happens kind of cool, too. So we had talked a little bit about, like, oh, wouldn't that be fun if we wrote our own tunes? And this is coming out of Western Aerial. And I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to do that. And I've been writing some, but without a band to put it to, I hadn't really finished much. Didn't, you know, it might have been good, a little bit of a break. But uh, one day, Dane, my bass player, comes in and says, hey, good news, man. I booked a show for our original band. I'm like, what, 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 you know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, we were going to do it as ants, but you know, we had, uh, played the same venue, like the Doug fur, uh, you know, a month before we were going to play it like three weeks beforehand or something. So they didn't want to do that. And Dane was like, Oh, not ants. It's our original band. He's like, you know, so in five weeks, we're going to play an original show with right. a band that's never rehearsed and never, you know, tried to write songs together or anything. And I was like, you know, a little freaked out. Sure. And so I said, well, what did you, what did you call the band? And he's like, Mets, Ryan and Collins. And I thought, well, as long as I get top billing, let's do it. You know, we, I just took like, we had five original tunes that we did. And I think we did like three covers or four covers or whatever. And, um, had our buddy Kevin Hahn sit in with us and, it was super cool, man, and it, it sold out like based on like reputation alone. And we were playing with a great band, you know, opening up. Uh, but it was so cool, and also like it was one of those things having had a lot of popularity locally, and then not playing, you know, original music for a couple of years. Sure, people were curious. Yeah, you know, and and people were curious about the lineup of it, like me, Dane, and Mike. And so we went out and did it. It just so happens that it was it was filmed too, and so much of the early, you know, MRC stuff, like every show was filmed. So we had friends that like were super supportive, and that took off crazy too. You know, I mean, it's it's not in the same way because we're all like a little bit older, and like 
you know, by the time that happened, I owned a shop. I, I couldn't just take two weeks off and go sleeping on people's floors, you know, dragging my sleeping bag and my guitar with me. But, you know, it's been really cool because we kind of get to do whatever we want. You know, we got a little funding to do uh, a record and we recorded like live to tape in a big studio here in town. And like, I think the, the thing of it is, I'm always trying to do something that I haven't done before, just new sure. experiences. You guys got a vinyl out too, right? Yeah, a couple, Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, awesome. three, man, because we, we did a record with the Voodoo Donuts label. Okay. Um, uh, I wrote a song called Time to Bump the Donut, and uh, it was well-received by the uh, VD folks. So that happened too. Good stuff. Yeah. So you studied marketing? Yeah, I got a marketing degree. Yeah. And how, is, how has that helped with your career at Five Star Guitars and with your band? helps me every day yeah like here's the thing like it helps me shop at the grocery store it helps sure. me do everything like yeah. and when i say that it was just because i i just sort of view it as like a business right like I, okay so like if i go to costco like i don't buy uh you know 48 rolls of toilet paper or something you know not because it's not a good deal. It just doesn't fit for my business model. I'm like one dude. That's a lot of toilet paper, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, I mean, I think about it just in everyday decisions. I really think through it, through that process. That of what are the sense. carrying costs? You know, what is the, you know, the, by tying up that money, what, what lost opportunities do I have? All these things. You know, when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody in town. So I started working for this architecture firm doing some marketing for them and it was wonderful because a lot of it was kind of services marketing. I mean, you know, there is a product, there's the finished drawings and whatever, but it's a lot about service marketing and so is music, right? So I learned like firsthand, like people were paying me to write press releases and hire photographers and put together marketing materials on how to sell their business and I was doing it all the time, you know? And so that was great and I applied every bit of it to, you know, I mean, we talked a lot about like their logo. Yeah. We talked about their colors. Uh, we talked about, you know, having the color numbers, CMYK or, you know, um, was it RGB or whatever, mm -hmm. two different formats, working with printers, all these things. I mean, be, be farming out jobs and noticing whether the colors are right. Uh -huh. um, so when, when I put together Western Aerial, like I came up with the logo and I branded it and I wanted it to be a brand, like a logo that would be like uh, the Nike swoosh or my favorite brand logo is the Rolling Stones tongue. Right. I wanted it to be universally identified with my rock and roll band and I wanted it to be able to be changed for different things, be changed different colors for different things. You know, I could color it pink and be about breast cancer awareness or right. it could be, you know, whatever. Or like the MTV logo, you know, they changed it so many times, but it was always so iconic. Yeah. So I, I think about this stuff cause I studied it. Sure. Um, it's good. And you know, about the, you know, just sort of viewing things through that perspective of what's the product, you know, what's the price, what's the place, how are you going to promote it? Yeah. You know, and I think it's served me really well. I mean, I was concurrently going to school for music and doing that on the side, and I never, I don't remember ever complaining about going to school all day and playing my guitar all night, <laughs> you know, because I liked it. Yeah. But I know plenty of people that, you know, they went to school during the day, worked some job they hated at night, and it was rough. 
That's sure. a lot to yeah. do, and you wear yourself thin. And I did too, but it was fun way to wear yourself thin. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what does your writing process look like when you're uh, writing music and uh, collaborating with other musicians? Well, for me, I just... I find the best way to write is to just play my guitar, you know. I might just sit down and warm up and, you know, play some scales and, you know, just play some stuff to, again, like kind of get warmed up but also get in that, like, headspace of, like, whatever happened before, whatever is going to happen after is irrelevant. Like, I want to play my guitar, I'm going to be very present and I'm going to think about this and the tone, like everything. Like, my hands work to make those notes, how it can change the timbre without even touching the knob or the guitar. Like, I want to, I want to be in that place. Yeah. Right? And what I find is as your mind starts to wander, as your hands start to play things, all of a sudden you get something, you sort of tune into something that wasn't there before and you can bring the intangible into the tangible um and that's one of my favorite things about music is that like you can you can come up with an idea and call it you know danny's opus <laughs> and you can show it to your friends and you play it and then you tell a few other people that have heard it and all of a sudden that means something right you took something that didn't exist before and you brought it into like the material world and you can share it and you can you know i mean i i I love the songwriting process. Yeah. And what I've found in collaborating with lots of cool people, you know, lots of like really great songwriters and great musicians and stuff, is that rather than holding on to your initial idea, you've got to sort of like in a collaboration setting, you're asking about like, you got to kind of let go of that a little bit and see where people take it. Mm -hmm. You that know, makes sense. and uh, you know, I think earlier on, I, I, I had to like, not, not a clearer vision because I but not what I'm looking for, but like, I'm also more open to the idea of maybe the drummer's got a better drum beat in mind than what I just had in my head. Right. And same way, I mean, like, you get a good producer, maybe he's got a better way to, you know, record your guitar or to, to layer guitars or to add things, whatever. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of just getting out there and playing and kind of letting it happen and then not getting in your own way yeah. or in the other people that are trying to help you out, you know, like let it happen Yeah. and give them a little bit of space to experiment. And then if they're wrong, let them down gently. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember meeting you your first week in Oregon at the green room. Was it your first week or your first day? Do you recall? It was like that first weekend kind of thing. Okay, and, sure. And I'd met some of my uh, buddy, Nathaniel, actually his photo up above my desk here, <laughs> uh, the, two, the two of us and uh, anyway, um, so I was like essentially living in his living room, like on my futon from college, and I had a bunch of amps and, you know, guitars and that stuff. And he introduced me to the people that he knew. They were yeah. like, and so they were like, oh, well, you play guitar, you should go to this open mic night. And so in, in meeting you and signing up, because you were filling in for Bev, right? Right. Um, who was running the, the open mic night. She was sick or something. Yeah. You were filling in, and I... You know, I'd gone from in, in this small town knowing everybody, um, you know, everybody at the music school. I was you know, playing three nights a week. Everybody knew who I was. And in those circles, it was really cool. Like people knew that I was a good guitar player and I got all these opportunities. You move out here. It's like no one cares. No one cares about <laughs> what you did in Moscow, Idaho. Is that <laughs> how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, and so it's like starting over. And, you know, I remember like the only acoustic guitar that I had was a resonator. And, you know, I, 
I was just using that. I think in part because I thought it looked cool, it you did. know, it, and and in part too, just because, you know, I was like, it's more metal than, you know, literally more <laughs> metal than right. a regular acoustic grandpa guitar. So anyway, like, um, I did that, and you know, all it takes is a little bit of encouragement, right? You you go out there and you sing your ass off you really try to emote like for real like it's real mm -hmm. you thought you were going to move to the city you're going to do it like well if you can't do that then maybe you're not ready right um it's like the guns and roses welcome to the jungle uh, video right dude yeah <laughs> gets off the bus with the you know dude, i think about that all the time <laughs> and josh mom who was like a bartender at, at right the place, right redwood sun now. Yeah. yeah 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 he um you know, I, he, he was around in that time and I, I, uh, in the last few years have, uh, got to be better friends with him and kind of reconnected. But yeah, I mean, he, he was telling me, he's like, dude, you were so nice when you got here. Like, my name's Joff. I'm here to play some music, you know? And I, like, I felt like it was cool, but I looked back and I was like, mm, no, you know, people were very nice to me. And, you know, um, and so, uh, but you know, I mean, like I went out there and played some tunes that I'd written and people seemed to react to it. And I was like, okay, cool. I can sing, I can play guitar, I can do this. And I'll, you know, I'll go the next week. And you know, it, it was, I mean, that was the plan. And it took a little while to kind of meet people, you know, to kind of find your, find your tribe. Yeah. My, my dearly departed friend, Lisa Lapine used that phrase, you got to find your tribe. And, and I, I like that. It's true. You know, you got to find people that really love music and want to do that and spend their off time doing it and prioritizing it and they want to get better. And, you know, so I, I wanted to do all the stuff I did. I, you know, I mean, I wanted to get a record deal. I just wanted to play music and be yeah. an artist forever. And I will be, you know, I mean, For I'm sure. still doing it. It's just, you know, it, it wound up going a different way, you know, in terms of, you know, not, not only in that path with bands, but not too long after I met you at the green room there, um, I went to a local music store, which turned out to be Five Star Guitars, and sold some of my gear left over from my PA for my band in Moscow. And I met Ken, who would wind up being my boss, and I would later wind up buying the business from him. But again, when you meet somebody like that, you have no idea right. that you're going to be tied for life, you know, and become really good friends. And, and, you know, I mean, especially in those early days, man, like we all used to hang out, like spend holidays together. And, you know, yeah, I yeah. mean, and so again, like kind of found my tribe, just found a bunch of really cool people. And, you know, we were all wanting to play in bands. I mean, that's how I met Jeep, who's now like one of my business partners. Like, you know, he had a band we were all in the same bill and, you know, we just kind of hit it off. It was like, man, these guys are cool. I like, like your band. You like mine. You know, we both don't like the other band because they're kind of <laughs> jerks backstage and we had a laugh over it, you know? Yeah. You came to Oregon with a mission and a plan. Can you tell us more about that and how it evolved or did we already cover that? Um, well, the, the, the mission and plan again was like, I knew I wanted to make a stand here. I knew mm -hmm. that, you know, it was going to take a little bit of time to kind of break into the scene, but I just, I was tired of waiting. I took again, like that invitation from a friend of mine saying like, I got a job in Portland. I move out in January. And I was like, well, I got a lease till May. So, you know, and I think 
you know, just wanting to come out here and just play music and do it. I, I think I was prepared to not make it in right. six months. You know, I knew that I'd have to pay some dues. I knew that I'd have to, you know, figure it out, like get my bearings, you know, get on my feet, so to speak. And I did, you know, that was the thing I wanted to have a video on MTV. And I just, I like, you know, I just wanted to play music for a living. I yeah. wanted to be surrounded by that at all times, you know, and eventually worked my way into doing that. Yeah. And that's, definitely. That, you know, still I mean, what I'm doing. It just, it wound up taking a little bit different path, you know, than, than what I could have conceived of, you know? Yeah. Well, right. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, who, who set out to be, you know, who they are at any age when, you know, years in advance, like, right. you know, Absolutely. What mentors did you have along the way that come to mind? I had some cool guitar teachers that were really inspiring, you know. That was that was a really cool experience for me. And part of the reason that I still teach to this day is because, like, that was such a positive experience for me where I was like, you know, and I, I worked harder at that than I ever did in high school. Right. Or, you know, I mean, to, in some respects, even college, that was huge for me. And so those guys were legitimate, like mentors that, and all these people I'm about to mention, I still stay in touch with, but like, so there was a couple of guitar teachers that were great. There were a couple of like adults in my life, like some of my friends' parents, you know, again, like my folks didn't know anything about playing music. They, you know, could barely play the radio, but like I had some friends' parents who were very supportive, who either played music in the past or my friend Gabe's mom, Rocky, was in a working band, like playing like three nights a week in Boise and still is like, as of this taping, she's still there. And every time that I go back, I try to say hello because, you know, she was this lady who was doing it when everybody else says, you know, you, if you want to play music, well, you can have fun with that, but you need a, you need a career, you need a this and that there was at least somebody in my group, you know, like, uh, whose parents were like doing it. Yeah. She was doing it on her own. It's like single mom doing it. And that's, you know, like still like an inspiration to me. Right. So every time that I make a record, I send her a copy. And every time that I, uh, you know, go back to Boise, I try to go see her show and we catch up. And they're like, you know, those people, you know, guitar teachers and some of my friends, parents who've been so supportive over the years. And, uh, and especially my best, most favorite uh, college professor, Dan Buckvich, who is still at the University of Idaho, and I should go see him again because it's been a while. But, like, I went back there a few years ago, and I looked him up. I mean, this guy let me audit. Like, I finished my degree, and I stuck around for another year and just played music and taught, and he let me audit music classes for an entire year. Wow. And he never told the teacher's aides that I wasn't enrolled. So they graded my homework just like anybody else. And because of that, I worked my ass off on that homework because he'd taken a chance on me. Now I look back and I went, it's not that, you know, not a lot of skin off his nose or whatever. But it meant a lot to me that somebody was giving me an opportunity and I wanted to make them proud. And so when I went back and, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, all that stuff with the TV and all these things were happening, you know, and I went back and I brought him some records and I was like, thank you. This guy, I remember he like, gave me a hug. And that was like, it was like more meaningful to me than any hug I'd ever had. Cause like, 
you know, this was the guy. Like everybody respected him because he was, I mean, and, and is a fantastic composer, professor, all these things. And, you know, he just, he told me, he was like, you know, you always had a gift and you worked hard at it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what you could do with it. Nice. And it was like, like Mr. Holland's opus, man. Like, like not a dry eye in right. the house. And it, it meant the world to me. Yeah. So, you know, I maybe didn't have that kind of support at home growing up. Maybe I didn't meet those people earlier, but I met him eventually yeah. and, and figured it out, you know? It wouldn't have happened without you doing the work, though. So I think that's an important part of that, too. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's the thing. I, I never figured I was, like, the best guitar player. And I figure I probably have to work at it harder than some folks, but I'm willing to. Right. And that's the difference. Yeah. You know. It takes a lot of that. Oh, well, you are sure. excellent at the guitar. <laughs> and you play louder than everybody else. Doesn't right. matter where the amp's set. No matter what they say, because I can't hear them. <laughs> all right. I don't know. It's like, there's, there's like no kryptonite in your pick, right? That's, it's just all. <sighs> it's all kryptonite, but I forced my way through Okay, it. I see. In your opinion, what are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated? How to do it? Well, other than actually doing it, um, you know, I mean, practice your guitar. I got some ideas about that. I think, I think uh, a lot of it too is that, you know, you, you want to be easy to work with. You want to show up on time. You want to come in prepared. I mean, that's so much of it. But yeah. I really, you just got to pay attention. If you can, like the way that I got through business school, I mean, true story, you know, oftentimes I would kind of space off and be thinking about Eddie Van Halen or whatever. But whenever like, you know, in those marketing classes that they would talk about, you know, distribution or whatever, I would just take their example of widgets or whatever and try to think about a guitar manufacturer or something that I was more interested in. If I, yeah. if I could somehow relate it back to something that I was genuinely interested in and go, okay, all right, so, you know, like for distribution, like, okay, so they make them here, now how do they get them to the places? Okay. And just sort of in real time relate it to something. Right. The record industry or the whatever. That makes sense. That. Um, And and I think that no matter what you're doing, there's something about it, you know, working for somebody else's business or whatever the, the deal is that you can bring in your own life like best practices yeah you know look to the people that are doing it well and and sometimes it's just as important to see when people are really failing why they're failing yeah you know get a read on that makes um, sense and i've gotten so much over the years out of watching great bands you know really do it really hold the crowd in the palm of their hand and i've seen some bands really mess it up too when they the, all they had to do was just go out and play because the crowd was so pumped for them all they had to do was just show up and smile, but they didn't, you know? And, and so when you see a train wreck of a whatever experience, you know, try to avoid it, but also think about how it happens. Yeah. That's how you'll avoid it. Yeah, learn from that. Learn sure. from the good and the bad. How should people find their passion or start their creative life? I think you should try things, you know, be open to just taking um i don't know like i remember i took a theater class in high school it was weird but it turned out to be super fun you know i knew that sports wasn't my thing you know in the midst of high school and so you know by starting to take guitar lessons i mean that's that's where i kind of honed you know i was just trying different things and i found the stuff that i really liked where i was like man i i can talk about this all day i'm not self-conscious at all 
about the fact that I have a guitar, I take lessons, you know, what, what, you know what I mean? Like I was pumped about that and sports I didn't care about, you know, so many other things. I just, it wasn't, it didn't attract me, you know, and it just wasn't my thing. So, you know, you got to try stuff, be open to it, but, but also like be honest with yourself about what you like and what you don't, you know? And if everybody says, oh, you know, you should try out for the football team. Well, if you don't like it, don't do it. Right. You know, I mean, I have met people that like, you know, you talk to them afterward, right? High school reunion or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, I played basketball for four years. I hated it, but I thought I had to do it because my older brother did, you know? And, um, I don't know, man, like, I think for me, just following that idea of like watching videos and MTV and saying, that looks like fun. I want to try that. Yeah. And then finding what ultimately would be the most important tool for self-expression. I mean, I would say as much as my own voice, but even that, I think of my voice first and foremost as singing. You probably didn't know it from listening to my speaking <laughs> voice, but... Yeah, it's very good, Bill Clinton there. But uh, <laughs> now that I, I think this is the thing, you just have to kind of be open to things, and you know, I think it's the same way with like kind of finding your group of people, finding your tribe is like do what you like, and you know, other people that are interested in those same things will, you know, you, you kind of attract that. Yeah. Um, and the same reason, you know, we're talking about like, you know, make sure you're prepared and all these things, like. If you're a positive person, you're easy to work with, you'll attract other people. Mm -hmm. And if you've always got a problem, you always got a chip on your shoulder, some reason why you can't show up, or it wasn't your fault, but this and that, I mean, you know, it's still negative, and you're still pushing people away. That makes so. sense. Yeah. It's good advice. How has technology changed music and the creative arts in general? Well, I mean, I'd say there's more access to it. There's lower barriers to entry, you know. I mean, the fact that there's like a, you know, so many, like in our business, you know, like guitars and amps are the same price or cheaper than they were when, you know, 30 years ago. Right. Right? I mean, in 1989, you know, I I paid like, I want to say like $189 dollars for a single channel, no reverb Marshall amplifier. Now, granted, it was made in England, and it's just pretty cool. I got it in my living room. But I look at what's available for $99 30 years later, and, you know, I would love to have had that, you know, built-in effects and all this stuff. Um, that part of it's good. I think, you know, access for everybody to music education or to arts education um, and to the tools to, to make art, you know, to communicate with people is great. Like, you know, the ability to record yourself on your phone and have more recording technology than the Beatles did in 1969, you know, um, is nothing short of amazing. And I, I think the, the ability to post your stuff on a free site like YouTube and, conceivably have access to the entire world is also positive. I'm not going to say anything bad about that. I've heard lots of people say it, but, you know, one, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, and two, I stand by the fact that more access to art, making and enjoying is good. Right. For, you know, the planet. But what's what's different about it now is that, you know, the the business 
of art, specifically music right now, I mean, that's what I pay attention to most, has totally changed. That yeah. model is totally different than it once was. And people are just adapting, they're figuring it out. And it's, you know, I, I always think of that quote, you know, the uh, arc of the universe is toward justice. You know, it's long, but it's toward justice. So I'm not worried about it. You know, kids are still picking up guitars and they're still rocking out and they're still, you know, expressing themselves. And, um, you know, that's good. But yeah, absolutely, man. Technology's changed everything. I think the trick to that is you got to figure out how technology can work for you. Yeah. You know, and rather than being scared about how things are different, like, well, they're not going back. Right. <laughs> so get on with it. Yeah. You know, you only want to use your phone for um, making phone calls. Well, that's fine. But, you know, take a minute. You might find that there's more you can do with it. <laughs> when did music become your business and how did your job change over the years? Well, first time I got paid to play music, I guess it became a business, you know, like, and I want to say like rocking is my business and business is good when I was like 14, <laughs> but no, it was, it was not my business and you know, it was fun. I don't know. I mean, like I got no problem mixing art and commerce. I, I don't, I, I think that it's making money and, you know, marketing that, seeing it as a product and thinking about the the place and promotion and the price is what artists have struggled with since the beginning of time, right? Absolutely. Because if they want to specialize, you know, you got to get paid for it, right? Mm -hmm. And if, you know, uh, if you can't figure that out, it's not because the world is cruel. It's because you couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. and that's it. You know, there have always been a number of, of ways to do it. And it goes back to the oldest one, which is patrons of the art. You mm -hmm. know, Beethoven wasn't getting paid on record sales. True. It was live performance. But beyond that, it was about patrons of the art, people that would take them on. Yeah, commission you know? for compositions. Right, and right. And teaching and the, the stuff that we're still doing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I for me, yeah, I mean, I suppose it turned into a business when I started making money at it. It's For me, it's become more a part of it. And one of the things that I've realized is as much as I wanted for my one band to, like, make me the kind of money that I, you know, I would never have to do anything except make art, you know, for whatever I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. I started looking at it more like as different streams of revenue. Yeah. And like sometimes the music that I'm playing isn't for me, you know, necessarily. I mean like, you know, you take a corporate gig, it's maybe a little stiff or whatever, but I'd still play in music that I like with friends that I have that play music and it's a blast, you know? Yeah. I remember once... I had a questionable gig as to whether I was kind of selling out or whatever, you know, and um, my, my old buddy Jay Hazer, you remember him? Yeah. I asked him, I was like, Jay, I'm not sure about this gig, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting, you know, three songs a night, just once an hour, I get up on the bar top and I play on a wireless unit along with songs over the radio, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm not sure, it feels kind of weird, right? So he just looked at me. Right. And, 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 you know, I just, I sort of saw him as a mentor too, you know, cause he, he'd like been from LA and he joined us at five star guitars, yeah. you know, anyway. So I, I was like, Jay, what do I do? What do you think, man? And he says, uh, so, okay. Are you playing music? I was like, well, yeah. He's like, are you getting paid? I said, yeah. He said, well, shut the fuck up then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great Jay Hazer story. Right. 
He's got a lot of stories. The way he put it to me was, uh, you should take a gig if you are going to learn something or get paid from it. Yeah, okay, so I, I look at it as like a, uh, there's three pieces of that pie. Right? Okay, sure. So there's either money, right? Or exposure, yeah. or fun, right? right? Like it either you get paid, and that in and of itself could be enough, right. you know? It could be an exposure thing like, yeah, man, I would I would play for free if I get to open for Aerosmith at the Motor Center, <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I might even be able to like, you know, order some pizzas for them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or if it's really fun. Yeah. And, and I've had, you know, every, it seems like every combination of that. And very rarely you kind of get all three where it's like, man, all right, so I made some money. There were a bunch of cool people in the crowd that, you know, somehow furthered what we were doing booking agents or whatever it was. And I had a blast doing it, you know, and you, you want all three, but, um, you know, I mean, that's basically it. And if it's, if it's not hitting any of those three, don't do it, man, that's no thanks. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. That's good advice. Creativity or skill more important as an artist. Uh, it's gotta be a mix of both. The chops by itself is cool, but it's like a card trick. Right. Right. And I always think to like somebody like Bob Dylan, he's not a real great singer, not a real strong singer, frankly, but it's his creativity and the songwriting that's unparalleled. And you listen through it. And in fact, that creativity makes me think, you know, when I hear him, it's like the cool thing about his lacking voice is sort of the fragility of it, you know, that here's somebody with not a real strong voice. He's not Frank Sinatra, but he's got something to say. And he's going to say it. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's a a good analogy to it. That's the way I view it. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, that it's like the feel and and their approach and the kind of conviction that Mm -hmm. they bring to it, that somebody who might be a more skilled musician, that's, there's a part of that, the kind of swagger and confidence that you can't get from just burning out some scales real quick. Right. Unapologetically, what is a song, album, or artist that you would recommend for folks to listen to, check out? In the last few years, I've seen a couple bands that I just loved. I can't say enough about them. I mean, I've seen a ton of cool shows, but Rival Sons, killer, man. If you've never heard those guys, they're amazing. Check them out and blow your mind. And then a band called Vintage Trouble, who's like... Uh, I saw them open for ACDC in San Francisco. It was like 75,000 people, and these guys killed. They were so good, so good. And, um, I mean, I was just like, damn, you know? <laughs> like, dynamite. <laughs> so, yeah, those guys for sure. Nice. Thank you. What are some difficult times that you faced as an artist? I I mean, I feel like uh, I had lots of times where I felt like you know, I wasn't getting paid enough or you know, things didn't work out or whatever. And I think like one of my favorite like song lines is uh, from, uh, it's a long way to the top. It's like uh, getting robbed, getting stoned, getting beat up, broken bone, getting had, getting took. I tell you folks, it's harder than it looks. That to me, I think in hearing that as a kid, it was like, made me almost like appreciate that stuff when it happened. <laughs> but you know, the bottom line is you only get what you ask for and you better get it in writing. I remember you're playing a show once and you know, the other band like had pizza in their green room and we didn't have pizza. As it turns out, I didn't ask for any pizza, so I didn't get any pizza, you know, just little stuff like that, man. So like, I mean, you know, I've had bands break up. I've had, you know, fights right before you go on. I've had, you know, crowds that don't care. Um, I, you know, 
everything. I mean, you know, like, you know, people that you're playing with are so drunk they fall off the stage. People throwing shit at you, huge fights breaking out. Um, you know, damn near riots, cops being called, everything. You know, but I just, I don't know, I just keep moving. It's like, experience, right? Oh, well, that's the thing. Now yeah. I have all the stories, right? If a twelve-year-old me heard this, I'd be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know. Um, I, I get this other quote, man. I was going to read it to you too. Like this yeah, is a good. favorite of mine, but like, um, it's a, a Hunter Thompson quote. It was like, uh, "The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps roam free, and good men die like dogs." There's also a negative side. <laughs> So like I don't know, man. Like that kind of stuff just keeps it in perspective. It's still just like rock and roll. You right. know? So like I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like you can cry about all you want. Nobody cares. Right. Just get on. You're you gonna get on, or other, otherwise, step aside. I'll get on stage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How have you learned to overcome adversity? I guess that you kind of summed it up already. If you if you want to, we can skip that. Well, you. I mean, you gotta kind of have a thick skin about it, yeah. and it, you, hopefully, you learn from your mistakes. I think the, those are huge. I mean, at any important. at any point, whatever adversity, I mean, basically, you know, it's choice A, choice B. You're going to stop. And maybe that's the good thing to do. You know, I mean, there's some things that you might try that you probably should stop. Or you learn from it and you go, all right, cool. So I'm going to go this way next time. You know, right. like, here's how I can work around that. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to be fooled again by this. You know, I'm not going to let this stop. What advice would you give to people who want to develop their art and their vision it's a practice you know work with other people learn as much as you can you got to really do it too yeah um i mean you can't take over the world from your basement in beaverton well actually now i suppose you can <laughs> um but but the th you know the thing of it is like, you really gotta you gotta do it you gotta pay attention to what works and what doesn't for you and for others and you gotta look for opportunities i mean i'm a firm believer that with every change good or bad, the way that you initially perceive it, there's an opportunity in there. Absolutely. And it's just whether you see it or not. Yeah. All right. So how well does the system or society work for people, for musicians and creative artists? Society. Well, I mean, here's the thing. In terms of the, I don't know, society in general, I don't know. That's a pretty broad topic. But here's, here's the deal. Um, the system works fine. I think... It's incumbent on each of us to understand how the system works, how the laws work, how civics works, how your government locally and, and otherwise works. And if you want change, then you know how to go about it, hopefully with a lot less frustration and more productivity. You know, it's the system is a working document, right? So we start out, we don't have much say, but I think you and I are in a spot right now where like people are paying attention. It's actually up to us to decide how the system works, right? So, you know, you get mad at these potholes. Well, you can freak out and, you know, shake your fist and refuse to, you know, whatever. Or if you really want to do something about it, maybe figure out where your place is on the city council or whatever. It's the same way with anything else, you know? I mean, like you have to understand the system as it is to affect change. You know, just breaking windows downtown because somebody you didn't like got elected, ain't going to do it. But if you can make a change instead and maybe say like, all right, I, maybe I can't affect who the president is right now, but I can have an effect on the local chamber of commerce or local charities or whatever I can do in, in my 
neck of the woods, you know, my community. I, I mean, that's, I guess I'm speaking totally from personal experience, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like that's the way to do it. If you just rage against the machine without knowing the machine, how do you know where to rage or when to rage or how long to rage? <laughs> right. Or when to turn rage into audio slave. Right. Or when to turn it back. How well do schools prepare kids for the real world? I think it's a start. I mean, there's nothing that they're teaching in there that isn't a good thing to know. I think one of the big things that's sort of underrated about that is the social aspect of like just dealing with people, it's very you know, true. Um, socializing, being able to gain consensus, working in group projects, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's good. Yeah. And I always, I always wonder, you know, like I, I like the idea that people can homeschool their kids, but I always think it's, it's a little weird because if you don't have that interaction, like if you're not dealing with people and having to figure it out, you're missing a big part of that school. Yeah. Because on a group project, they're, they're going to experience somebody who's not pulling their weight and Absolutely. they're going to learn how, how to do deal, you deal with, with that. that? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. That's a good point. I like um, yeah, man. I mean, in that and like, um, I kind of wish there was, uh, I kind of wish there was a little bit more emphasis on like what classes about, you know, preparing people for their own like personal finance yeah. and civics, like those two things. Yeah. Um, I think so that business... they understand how their own, like their, their home works like how you pay bills how you deal with um just the finance of being alive because it's a part of the deal and also uh, civics i think is a big one that people need to know how government works right you know and that's you know local city county everything you know you need to know because those people work for you unless you don't pay attention (laughs) and then they just take your money you know right can you tell us about your current projects and where you'd like to focus your energy over the next few years well, the, I mean, the biggest project that I got going for sure is the five star guitars, right? You know, which is super exciting. It's, it's super fun. It's also a lot of work and, and it's just, I don't know, it's an exciting time, but all the more reason that, you know, to work hard at it, keep perspective on everything, you know, not work too hard. Right. Uh, cause there's a point of diminishing returns. And then also just trying to enjoy it too. I mean, we won that big award, the you know best shop turnaround, man. That was huge. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, so it's trying to in the moment also just sort of enjoy it. And then um, you know, I got a couple bands, Ants in the Kitchen, and Metzger and Collins. You know, playing. You know, keeping busy it kind of scratches both itches. You know, I got, I got this big band. We play these cover tunes we get to put our own take on it. and then i got a three-piece rock band and like you know just last weekend man we played a show at the coast we played some like really big places and you know in the past we've all played like lots of big shows we played essentially like a like a pub on the coast did our own sound on a little mixer and you know i was joking with the guys like man last time i had to do my own sound like you know i had to have the car home by midnight you know <laughs> so like I don't know. I mean, like, I'm I'm still enjoying all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think in terms of focusing my energy, like, already I'm trying to kind of wrap up extraneous things. I mean, the, the big focus for me is is the shop and playing some music. And then, you know, just kind of making time for myself. That's something I've been thinking about a lot is that a lot of people 
you know, want your time and there's an endless amount of like volunteering I could do or bands that I could start or be in or whatever. But, you know, I'm just trying to get the right mix, you mm-hmm. know, like. That's tough sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And and there's some things that land on your plate that you just are a priority that you didn't foresee coming, you know, maybe some sure. uh, family things that, you know, it's like, all right, cool. I want to, I want to help. I want, you know, I have the ability to help and I want to do so. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the big thing for me. It's just having enough time to be creative on my own and, and at the same time be focused and really take the shop to as high a heights as we can get, man. Yeah. I mean, as, as far as we can take this. Cool. Well, you guys are doing real well. You and uh, Jeremy and Jeep. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky, you know, it organically everybody has kind of taken their own parts of the business and you know when we're very much in contact with one another about what's happening and and we have the benefit of having people that I you know I can bounce ideas off of and like Ken didn't really have that right and uh you know at, at the same time it allows me to do what I'm best at and kind of concentrate on that and Jeremy you know as essentially CFO and handling not only the invoicing but also the financial projections it was huge and you know I'm doing a lot of the buying and so I I have to know where he's at but he's working on it and so I don't have to do all that by myself right the same way with Jeep doing operations you know I mean he's handling a lot of the infrastructure, not only like network-wise, computers and the back end of our website and shopping carts and lesson uh, transactions, but also a lot of the HR stuff too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're deep into it, all three of us. But fortunately, these guys are really sharp and I know they're handling it and I'm happy to help out wherever I can the same way they're happy to help me out if I need something. Right. But, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, I want to do a killer job and make it the best I can for everybody, not just them. But we, you know, we got to think, too, about everybody that's counting on us every week for a paycheck, you know. And when you start signing the other side of a check, you know, you, there's some other considerations in there. You know, families counting on you. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think we can do it. It's not like, a, you know, it's a burden, but at the same time think about that it's serious yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah what are one or two memorable stories from your music career so far we got a call to do um to re-record the blazers theme song um as like a rock version right and they wanted like a rock version they picked us and they wanted a blues version they got curtis Salgado, and just you know all down the line you know they've gotten a string quartet and all these things we recorded in this really cool amazing studio called rex post downtown and we got a chance to do that, and then we also recorded a version of Baba O'Reilly that would be used at the the introductions of the game, like most games for a couple of years, you know, so like 20,000 people a night seeing the band, and it was killer, you know, I mean, we like, I remember like really just loving every minute of it. The guy who had transcribed the thing had also worked for Frank Zappa, I mean, it just, I mean, it was just like this killer thing that came up after you know, so many years of working hard and get the name out there, all of a sudden people were like, oh, you want a, you want a rock band to do it? Well, let's, let's get Western Aerial. So we, we did that, and I'll never forget, man, like the opening night, they got us a box. So us and 20 of our friends went up there. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like. I've, I've never seen it yet. And we're in there. All of a sudden the lights go out, and the Jumbotron comes on. 
and it's me. It's a big shot of me. And the thing starts and we're playing Bob O'Reilly and people are going nuts and the lights are crazy. And it was one of those times where like, it's almost overwhelming. Uh, you know, where you're kind of nervously laughing, almost in tears, because like, that's the kind of stuff you dream about. Right. And then one day it happens, right? And so when that kind of stuff happens, I try to really savor it and, and to remember what that feels like. You know, that's, it's incredible. You know, we've lots of moments like that where you, you know, you get to go on in front of tens of thousands of people in an outdoor show and you hear your name called and you walk out there and you're like, cool, man. You know, Allison Chains is going to be on the stage in four hours, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, seeing yourself on TV and stuff. And like, I remember too, here's another one, man. Like, you know, when you license music to television, a lot of times you don't know that it's going to happen. So friends of mine watching TV, like, you know, One Tree Hill or some some show on the FX network, I think, see this at like 8 o'clock mountain time in Boise. So, you know, 8.15 or whatever whatever time it was, my buddy calls. He's like, dude, you on TV? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? He's like, well, no, my wife said that she saw you on TV, like drug me out there. Dude, it was you. You were on TV. And so like, yeah, as it turns out, what they were talking about is like, in this scene in a, a television show, they're listening to the radio driving through Portland and they're listening to us on the radio, right? <laughs> so I'm like, no way, and I freak out. And, um, you know, and we throw it on. And I mean, I, I think at this time, it was probably like MySpace or something, but you know, I quickly called the other guys in the band and we tried to tell everybody you were like, dude, and, and I watched it live, man. And, and like that kind of stuff where you're just like, that happened. That was network television. Right. You know, stuff like that. It's just like. It's awesome. Amazing. Right. Yeah. So uh, what would be your advice to 16-year-old Joff if you could go back and tell him and he would listen? I would say you were right. <laughs> no, I, I would say be prepared, be easy to work with, serve the song and enjoy the ride. Nice. Um, I mean, that's. Keep it simple, right? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that if a uh, 16-year-old Jeff saw what I was up to, it would be, you know, I mean, like, I know how everything happened because it happened. To right. Me, right. You know, or you know, however you want to phrase it, I made it happen or that have I was lucky enough to whatever. But imagine if you just were 16 and then all of a sudden you see yourself like in your late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, just see some of the stuff that you're doing. I mean, like, it, it would be crazy. You'd be like, wow, I... I must be, you know, super rich and famous and wow, <laughs> you know, and I'm probably totally like tell my shop teacher to fuck off and like, look at what I'm doing. What? Who's dead or in jail now? You know, like, but, um, you know, I mean, that would be the thing. It was like, you know, keep doing it. You can, you can do that. You can make a life in, in the things that you're passionate about, but you gotta, you gotta work hard. Don't think that you're not gonna have to pay your dues. So right. you better be ready. Cause you know, if, if you're not willing to do it, there's a lot of other people that would like to. Sure. And if you don't, if you don't think you're up for that, then you better step aside. Right. Yeah. How do musicians and artists keep from becoming obscure or obsolete? I think you got to keep learning and keep growing and just kind of follow the, the muse, you know, whatever really excites you. And, and I think too, like recognizing that your, your market might change, Yeah. you know, the folks that are following you. In, in one project or one thing, some of them might cross over to the next thing. Some of them might not. That's okay. Right. 
You just got to do you. Got to be real about it. How important do you feel like music and the arts are to society? I cannot overstate the importance of that. You know, music is all around us in uh, even even in organic form. You know, I mean, just in the rustle of leaves, uh, the you know, the sound of the city. Yeah. Like everywhere, you know. I mean, and I think like you are born listening to a heartbeat, and that that beat that's the like the drive, like life force, like the universe. You know, it sounds out there, but it's the truth. And I couldn't imagine a world without music. And even should I lose my hearing, which is a distinct possibility. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the music's here, you know. I mean, I'm pointing to my head and I'm pointing to my heart because, like, that never goes away. Yeah. There's not a point in the day where I'm not, I don't know, it's just like groove. And, you know, to, to me, I mean, music's the one art form that, that can cross borders. It can go over walls. You don't need to see it to experience it. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's a reflection of society and it also influences society. So it's it, it's huge. So to overstate it, nah, I don't think you can. I don't think. I love that. Should musicians and creative artists just go for it or should they get a stable job and do their art on the side? Well, I think you should do it, but you you have to recognize that just because you want to be a painter doesn't mean that people want to buy your paintings. So if it, you know, it kind of depends on what sort of life you want. Like I'd like to have a door that I can lock when I leave, you know, <laughs> I'd like to have a roof that doesn't have a, a leak in it. Um, those kind of things. I mean, you know, uh, not to avoid the question, but I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you should go to the extent to which you're comfortable. Um, and I would say, too, that you probably shouldn't. I mean, the point of art is not to just kill yourself on the streets because you can't make a living at it. And you, you you have to be thinking about making a living, you know, um, uh, you know, a stable job and art on the side. Well, I think everybody should be making a little art on the side, even if their job is to make art. So you have to kind of decide. But I found a mix that I was comfortable with and I've been working on and I'm adjusting the fuel mix even to these days <laughs> uh, or to this day. And I think that's the way you have to look at it is just, you know, how, how comfortable are you? And, you know, what I was comfortable with 10 or 20 years ago is different than now. And I also recognize that I might be, I might feel differently in 10 years. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not as apt to jump in the van and sleep on floors all around the Northwest, but there was a time when I would, and I was fine. You know, I, I also led my life to do that. Like, I don't have any children. I don't, I, I never brought anything in that wasn't about like making music and being able to follow that. I mean, like I led my life and you want to talk about you know, uh, tough decisions and committing and whatever, like I did it. How'd I do it? Well, I didn't live like most people do and I still don't. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to know yourself, right? Absolutely. I mean, what's, you know, you have to be realistic about what's going to make you happy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just realized at some point, like I'll tell you, there's a great story about that. So I mentioned that when I got here to town, I didn't really know anybody in the music business. I wanted to make any money that way. And I didn't have any money to speak of. So I've started temping, you know, I was right out of college. I wound up getting this job at an architecture firm and it was a great job, you know, stable hours, benefits, the whole thing. Right. All of a sudden I had a great job. You know, some of my peers in college would have stabbed each other to get that job. But 
while I was working there, I realized that the guys who were partners in that firm, the guys who were going to be partners in that firm, they really loved architecture. They, uh, when they went on vacation, they looked at buildings. And when they went home, they read Architectural Digest and they really loved it, right? I did not. Uh, it make me a bad person. Right. I, just, I, don't, I don't love it. So to me, wanting to really do that thing and play in a band and, you know, do the thing and live that life, to me, it felt like selling my life away. 45 hours a week. And what I got out of that was I needed to find something that I liked so much that I would do it even if I didn't get paid. I don't tell anybody because I want to get paid. <laughs> but the thing of it is, I was able to put together a stream of revenue that allowed me to get paid while I was working on something that I really enjoyed. And that's where I became really good at what I did. I would never be good. And I remember my boss once before I quit and started working full time at Five Star Guitars, I had like, a, uh, you know, one of those yearly reviews. And my boss was like, you know, well-intentioning, you know, well-intentioned said like, um, so where do you see yourself in five years? Like, do you see yourself in my job? And I was like, <laughs> Fuck, I hope not. You know, I mean, I didn't say that. But <laughs> right. I mean, right. But, but it was a watershed moment for me. Sure. Because I realized in that moment, it was like, oh God, is that where this is going? <laughs> the and, reality of it. Right. And so at, I don't know, man, like, I don't even remember how old I was. Ken had, had hit me up about working there full time, working at Five Star Guitars, selling guitars. And, and I, I was doing that on the weekends, not because I needed the money, but because I really liked to do it. It was a great place to network. I mean, just, I recognized it for the opportunity that was. Right. And, you know, when I was on my break, I would read the trade magazines. When I was done with work, I'd hang out and drink beers with you and Jeep. And we'd talk about ways that we could make the shop better. Wouldn't it be cool if we got this brand or that brand or if we could do this or that you know I mean, we talked a lot about just music too like what's the best led zeppelin record you know <laughs> two or four what are you crazy what it's got to be physical graffiti but like i think the thing of it is like i realized that that's what i needed to be doing for good or ill right yeah and you could pay me a lot of money i mean if i, I suppose if it was so much money that i worked for a year and then could just play music the rest of my life. I, maybe that makes sense. But I, I don't know that I got a year left. You know what I mean? Sure. And I have had times in my life, you know, before the band started taking off, taking summer jobs in college, you know, early on that I hated. I hated that I was working so much and I wasn't playing my guitar. I hated that I was selling my life away. I hated that that's what I had to do for money, right? And I was never going to be good at those because I didn't care. And that's the difference. You got to yeah. find something that you genuinely are passionate about and then be the best at it. It's not like, you know, like, oh, I lucked into something and it's so easy. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, and, and it never ends. You never make it. Right. You always struggle. You always like are trying to get the next thing. But I love it. That's the thing. Like, I'm cool with that. Right. You know, like Hunger Games in the music field. <laughs> I'm down. Is. That's the thing. I'm the dude who's smearing the paint <laughs> on my face, shooting other people. Like, I'll do that. But for architecture, man, like I won't walk across the street. And it's not nothing against those guys. Sure. You got to find your thing. And that's the difference. Yeah. Speaking of story, how important is story? To marketing and to music? Well, you know, to music, I mean, the story enhances it if you, you know, 
tell somebody that an instrumental piece of music is about a quiet winter morning. But, you know, I don't think the story sold many records for Bach. I don't think he really cared, man. He just wanted to make bitchin' music. Yeah. So there's no story there other than the story of the dude himself. He was a brand, probably a big marketer. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, the story to marketing is everything. I mean, that, that is it. That is the market. That's the promotion. How do you... How do you sell that? How do you yeah. get people excited about whatever it is that you're doing? But in terms of music, I like the idea that it's open to interpretation. I think it's one of the things that like some people listen to, like some of those Beatles tunes, like I'm the walrus and think, oh man, that doesn't make any sense. To me, it makes all the sense, but I almost don't want to see a video of that because the video that's in my mind, my interpretation of mm -hmm. it is like where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and my reflection of that is the thing, you know? Yeah. What skills are important for everyone to learn? Cooperation, empathy, negotiation, building consensus, recognizing when to kind of hand the reins over to somebody else, you know, and not be the leader, but just somebody there's filling the role, you know? Yeah. And, you know, being able to adapt, you know, and recognize how you can help recognizing opportunity you know that, that's where it's at how can music and art help people have you seen an impact and do you have any examples dude i can't say enough about this either i mean last year i went to dc to talk to congress about the importance of music education and increasing funding and while i was there you know we talked a lot about a a new study that had come out from Northwestern and had just been released in 2018, just, you know, a couple months before we were there. And it talked about the usual stuff. I mean, I think stuff that we all know about how music helps in other, in other you know, classes, other subjects, but also in engagement and, you know, on the social aspect. I mean, here's the thing, like, I realized that music is like really powerful for me. Like I can change my mood with a song. And that's like a magic trick to know yourself that well and to know like, hey, if I wanna, if I'm feeling down and I need to like pump up, like, and I can put on some music, I know what to do. If I wanna make myself laugh or cry or anything. I mean, that, that's the thing, like, you know, since I was a little kid, like music tapped into that. And so recognizing that, I mean, it's like, how do you want your day to go, <laughs> you know? So, you know, in terms of how can music and art help people, like, not only to get their own stuff out as a way to communicate with the world when words fail, it's where art comes in, right? Have I seen the impact like every day of my life? You know, I mean, like I'm living proof, right? I got made this up. I'm a little kid from Boise, right? Like I just made this up and met with people and said like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Or they said that to me and I said, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You know? All the stuff that we're talking about is made up. It did not exist until we just said, like, yeah, let's do that. And then follow through. Right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I, again, I can't overstate, you know, like, that's the truth. Yeah. That's the fucking magic. What are some social issues that people should care more about, in your opinion? I think in the United States, like, the big thing that, for me, seems obvious is healthcare reform. It's a social issue, absolutely. Yeah. The model that we have in this country, the idea that your health benefits are tied to your employment, seems crazy to me. It's not that way in a lot of other places, and it puts a lot of pressure on folks to stay at their job no matter what. You got kids, you got a newborn on the way, you better keep that job no matter what, 
right? You can't take any chances, you know? You're old, you're sick, whatever. No chances. Because if you lose that job, you can't afford it. Right. That's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, I pay a ton of money in health insurance. I mean, I feel like, but it's nothing like I will, right? I'm, I'm healthy right now. You know, like I, I don't go to the doctor. I mean, it's pretty rare. Um, you know, get a flu shot or something. But someday I will. And I know a lot of people, especially in the music community, that, you know, you're a, a broken leg or some, you know, realistic accident or misfortune away from bankruptcy. And, you know, it is high time that our country moved forward in terms of like, recognizing that and that we really need i think a single payer system bottom line um and the obstruction that we're seeing you know i mean i remember the 90s when they were talking about that i certainly didn't have the perspective that i do now she went like high school the clintons talking about that whatever man i don't know what they're talking about i do now i got lots of friends that man you get a little cancer scare you get a little you know even again like like breaking your leg, you slip and fall on the ice. And all of a sudden, you can't work. You, you're stuck. Maybe you didn't have insurance in the first place. Things start to, you know, just snowball. And if you don't have infrastructure, you know, personally, you don't have friends, family, whatever, to keep you going, there's no reason that we couldn't figure this out. It's just, it's a shame, and I, I hope they do it sooner than later. And I will always advocate for that. But again, like, I think fundamentally the idea of having health care tied to your employment is not the way. And that's just what we've been brought up on. It right. seems normal because that's what that's the way it's been. It's what Doesn't you've mean seen it's corporations right. doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, and then there's a there's another side to that, right? It puts a lot of power on the side of the employer who can take away, you know, right. uh, and I, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but look, you don't need to be to recognize a lot of people in this country don't have access to it. Right. Not, and then it should be 100%. Mm-hmm. You want more than that? You want, you know, things that aren't offered great. Whatever, man. Right. You know, but it's just it's just a an important issue that has not been fixed the way it should is there any way we as artists can work together help one another and maintain our creativity and our own vision for our journey well we need to support each other and go to each other's shows and support and help and you know play on each other's records and look for opportunities to collaborate and work together and also i heard this i heard this quote somebody mentioned this phrase like sending the elevator back down and what they meant by that was if you have success and the elevator goes up for you and you find yourself on this higher floor, you should send the elevator back down so other people can get it. And, you know, I mean, I've heard other ways of describing, like, pass it on, that kind of stuff. Sure. But, you know, I think that's a, that's a part of it. If, if you find out some cool way to do something, share it. Yeah, and, sharing things is good. Yeah, because, like, if, like, your success is not my failure, if wonderful things happen to you, you, uh, whatever, man, you get a record deal, you get a whatever, you know, something moves forward for you. That, I think it moves forward for all of us if you view it that way. 
so that the community gets bigger and then there's more opportunities because you're doing well. You know, maybe that's because you're hiring some employees. Maybe it's, you know, you're generating some money or maybe it's just it's just a cool thing that you found out, a life hack, a cooler way to fold your socks. I don't care, <laughs> right. you know, but, but like, that's the deal, you know, like, and so I've been thinking a lot about that ever since I heard that quote, like, you know, sending the elevator back down. So yeah, that too. All right. So tell us about your bands. We've already talked a little bit, but Western Ariel, I'm just going to say the name. Three and piece rock band. And man, we, we were out to take over the world and, uh, we almost did except for, you know, so many other countries. <laughs> you know, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing time. We wrote some great music and every once in a while, you know, I mean, like when I listen to this stuff, when I hear it, I love it. There's yeah. not any of it. Like I wouldn't necessarily write with that voice now because I'm, I'm like a little bit older, but I was totally genuine. Oh, yeah, it was a three cool. piece rock and roll band and, you know, and people dug it. Yeah. And, and at the time when we were doing it we were like fearless. We would open for anybody. We'd close for anybody. Like I would go on after Aerosmith. I didn't care because <laughs> again, it fits that pie. Right. Right. And we were so on it. We're just like, well, I'll play any time. Right. I'll just do it because the people that are walking away after Aerosmith is done, they might hear that first song. You know? <laughs> right. And so that's, that's a, such a great feeling and, and a, a long legacy of like good friends that played in it and a lot of support here in town and, and all along the West Coast and, you know, so many other places. So I'm, I'm very grateful to have had that experience and to be able to put that on my resume. Definitely. Uh, just a fun fact about that. I called the Small Business Association to set up a mentorship, and uh, I was mentioned that I was working at Five Star Guitars, and, and the guy's like, are you of Western Aerial fame? And I'm like, no. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> SBA. <laughs> so now Ants in the Kitchen. Man, uh, it's a fantastic band. We have this great horn section. I've learned so much about like sort of being the music director of a big band like that. You know, and, and I've learned so much about like playing guitar in a different way, like in an ensemble setting like that. We've played a lot of really great shows. You know, we we've been playing the last year and a half or so with LaRonda Steele, who's like my favorite singer. Favorite singer. Awesome. Like, you know, LaRonda, then Tina Turner. Um, <laughs> and so like, you know, just to be able to make music at that level where the guys just, just killer. You can go anywhere. They will follow you anywhere. And everybody knows what's going on. Everybody shows up and like kills it. You know, like that's a good place to be. Definitely. Know? Yeah. All right. So Mets, Ryan and Collins, you guys played at NAM, right? National yeah. Association of Music Merchants, for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, um, we, we played there. And then um, the next night we played in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, playing the NAMP thing, I mean, like, I've been going for like the last 10 years. It's the biggest, you know, music trade show, certainly in the United States. I mean, I've never been to Music Mesa or uh, the one in, um, in Asia not yet. Not yet. But um, that was that was super cool. And that's kind of the thing with that band is like, those guys are killer players and we can kind of do whatever. It's just a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. like instead of trying to play just like as many shows and conquer the world is like more selective, you know? Yeah, makes sense. And and the next thing with those guys, like, you know, we're, we're going to put out a new song that we had recorded for Portland Radio Project 
we're going to put it out on our own. And then uh, we're doing uh, the soundtrack for a, a film, which, like, I've done some of that before. But this time, it's, like, the whole soundtrack, like, kind of like Maximum Overdrive, right? Which I love. Um, and so we're doing, like, five different themes for five characters. And instead of it being a one-off, like, you know, like stripper land, you know, like for that movie, I wrote the, you know, the theme song, but this is like continuous music and that's super exciting to me. Like what, what MRC represents is like, we're the, like the core, like the guitar, bass and drums of this really great three piece rock band. But if we want a horn section, we got the guys. If we wanted a didgeridoo, we could get them, you know, like this is the payoff for being in town a long time, doing a lot of good work. And people know that they can count on you. And all of a sudden you get a chance to do this kind of stuff that you've only like maybe thought about before. Yeah. And so that's where the, the new horizon is for me is not like doing what I'd done before necessarily, although some of it I wouldn't mind repeating, but you know, mostly it's just about like, I've never tried that before. Let's do it. Yeah. Like I've never recorded to tape and we did it. You know, that kind of stuff. How about your work with PG3, the Portland Guitar 3? Oh, man. I remember. Um, so when when Ty hit me up about that, Ty uh, Hitzman, who's like the producer of those shows, I was at a Christmas party for Music Millennium. We were hanging out, you know, like getting shrimp off the buffet line or whatever. And uh, he was like, Joff, I got an idea. PG3, we're going to call it PG3, Portland Guitar 3. And I'm going to get... Terry Robb and I'm like yeah he's like Jennifer Batten I'm like awesome he's like and you right and I think right about then I stopped loading shrimp onto my plate because I was a little taken aback I mean these guys are like you know Jennifer Batten good as it gets right. world class yeah. you know nobody's gonna refute that she is the the bee's knees yeah she played with Michael Jackson for like 10 years uh, right? Jeff, Beck Jeff Beck and so many other people yeah. and like just incredible right and then Terry Robb is like, you know, one of my favorite guitar players, not just in town, but like, he's incredible. Yeah. And when I first moved to town, man, I saw him open for like John Lee Hooker and so all these, I mean, like he was the, like the dude, you know? And, and then me, and I was just like, you know, my, my thing is whenever that thing happens, you know, opportunity knocks, you just say yes. Right. You figure it out. Right. Yeah. And I had a few months to, you know, learn how to play guitar. <laughs> so... And, and we did it, and it was incredible, and working with them was like nuts. And it was such a cool opportunity for me because, you know, Ty started bringing Terry around to, um, you know, like Western Aerial shows, and it was just like introduces. And I got a cool little side story about this, sure. so check it yeah. out. He brings Terry Robb, who I'd met, you know, like I remember it plain as day because he'd done that clinic at Five Star Guitars. I like drunkenly approached him at like some, you know, St. Patrick's Day show. And I was like, I really like your work. In my mind, you know, I was like, mm, indubitably, but uh, what actually happened? Like, <laughs> so anyway, he brings him to the show, sits him down. We're in the green room of uh, the Doug Fur. And after, you know, introducing us, the conversation gets a little stale, right? I'm, I'm not really sure what to say at this point. So Terry looks at me and I'm wearing a fog hat shirt, right? So he's <laughs> like, well, you know, I uh, played with Rod Price for a while, you know? And I'm like, oh, uh, who's Rod Price? And he's like, the guitar player from Foghat. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so embarrassed, you know? I mean, like, like real, like, foot in your mouth. Like, sure. here's this guy I want to be cool in front right. of. Right. Anyway, we became friends. Like, you know, super cool guy. But that was, that was my, like, 
my example of like you're wearing the Ramones t-shirt and someone's right. like, oh man, I love, you know, <laughs> today I love tomorrow the world. And you're like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Is that a Phil Collins song? <laughs> so anyway, um, that was super cool. We, we did it. It was nuts. Such a cool opportunity to, just to see how those guys rehearsed. I mean, it was like continuing education, man. It was like, yeah. you know, one of those like master's classes in you get your master's degree in like three rehearsals in a show <laughs> and you know i'm still friends with those guys to this day and then when we did a second one with robbie laws and eddie martinez also who, incredible uh, right right yeah, yeah, yeah i remember like you now robbie i, I kind of knew from around town but eddie like I, I had met i think once and you know he was a super nice guy but i remember like looking him up you know, it's like, oh, I better find out a little bit more about this guy. And one of the things that came up was that he's playing a live aid with Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. I was like, whoa, you know, and he did not disappoint. He's just like such a great guitar player. I mean, I could go on all night. Total side note. I mean, I, I think I'm going to wind up playing with him on Saturday on this oh, wow. odd thing. But it was just in terms of like cool things that happen just because I'm around and people know that I'll do a good job and show up. Like that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. And it's just such a fun time, man. I'm like so grateful to have had these opportunities, but also like to keep getting them, you know? And it's just like, I want to do that. I want to, yeah. I want to just like play and make sure that I'm doing a good job for everybody and, and just enjoy it too in the moment. There you go. Yeah. Well, I was at both of those shows and they were killer. Thank God. Thanks yeah. for the support. Uh, One definitely. more day rocking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And tell us about your work with the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. I know you've been a big proponent of that and helped them out with a lot of things. And uh, and the shop has been involved. Five Star Guitars has been involved as well. Well, the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, Amhoff.org, if you're on the interwebs, is a nonprofit that has kind of a, a dual mission. Like One is to preserve the legacy of music made in Oregon so there is like an actual like kind of hall of fame and people get inducted and it's super cool you know it's it's great to honor that the other side of it is that like it's a non-profit so all the the money that comes into it goes toward uh, music education in schools and scholarships for high school students going on to college uh, going on to music school and so I think it was like the second one or maybe maybe the first one I got asked to co-host a, a tv show PD Exposed because the, the regular host was out of town. And so all of a sudden, like I was co-hosting a TV show and we were going to go to this event. So I was so stoked. Like, you know, I not only did the interviewing part of it and did the you know whole co-hosting thing, but also I loved the, the vibe of it. You know, yeah. it was so good, man. Everybody was in such a great mood. It was like the right people doing the right thing. And it was just wonderful to see. And I, I was like, man, I want to be a part of this. And so we came up with that idea of doing a, like a holiday record, you know, a CD with original or cover tunes, you know, it's like, like Christmas songs, a lot of them. Um, and we were going to sell them in the shop. All the proceeds would go toward, we needed something. So I was like, well, how about the Oregon Music Hall of Fame? So we did that for a while. And when we took over the shop, I just, I wanted to make a bigger impact and kind of funnel what we we're doing into something. I was like, you guys, the partners and really everybody at the shop is like, this is a directly what we should be helping. You know, like yeah. this is perfect for us and where we can make a difference, we should. And so uh, we started getting more involved and we commissioned a guitar uh, that is essentially their, their logo. Like if you look at on Amhoff.org, it's the state of Oregon and with a guitar neck sticking out of what would be the eastern side of it. So uh, 
anyway, you know, we knew Wade, we knew the people that could put this together. And I asked him, you know, like, has anybody ever done one of these? We didn't have a ton of money to give them, you know, but we were able to, because we got the buy-in from Wade, who did an incredible job, we could get a hold of the parts at cost, all these things, like we could afford to do it. Right. And, and we gave it to him. The idea being that someone would, you know, donate a lot of money. Like if you're the title sponsor, you know, or somebody, somebody donates, you know, five or 10 grand. Yeah. We give them the guitar. I mean, obviously that, you know, they're not, it's not about the guitar. It's about helping. Yeah. We're going to be a great fame. cause. Yeah. And then, you know, just in helping those guys out, they asked me if I joined the board. I, I got on the board. And then in 2017, Terry Courier, who is a legend in the music scene, um, owner of Music Millennium and Burnside Records and has done more for music in this town than pretty much anybody I can think of, who also was real supportive of of me coming up too. And he was like a super cool guy. He needed to step down and there was no kind of heir apparent. And long story short, like I wound up becoming the second president of the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. And mind you, this was the year that like Five Star Guitars was relocating. It was a lot yeah. to do uh, concurrently, and it was a lot of hours. Jeep and Jeremy were super supportive, covering me on these long lunches every other week for years. And um, we were able to not only keep it going, but we added another uh, benefit that would allow us to generate some other income aside from just the donations and the induction ceremony. And, you know, it was, it's something I'm super proud of. And uh, in the last year or so, I haven't been as active, but I still work with them and, and still, you know, consult from the sidelines. But um, I don't know, man, like, like I was saying earlier, this town's been really good to me. I've met a lot of great people. Like, this is where I live. This is my home. At this point, like, you know, this state, this town, I've lived here longer than anywhere. And the opportunity to give back means a lot to me. You know, whether you call it giving back, whether you call it sending the elevator back down, pay it forward, pay it back, whatever. I'm just happy to do it. And um, I want to help out. I want more opportunities for other people to come here from wherever they're from and uh, and have a good life, you know. So Five Star Guitars on going to Washington DC speaking with Congress. Ah, uh, yes. So, I got a call a little over a year ago. NAM does this fly in every year where they advocate for, you know, whatever uh music interest. And a lot of times it's just funding for music education, but occasionally I I think there're other, you know, things that might come up. Um they called me and asked me if I'd come out and do this in part because they wanted, they were going to give an award to Suzanne Bonamici, Representative Bonamici, who is our district representative and who has been in the shop a few times. We met her and she's a great lady. And they wanted somebody to be there from her district to represent. And so, uh, you know, I, I did it. I was honored, you know, and, and as part of that, I, I flew in uh, to D.C. We did a day of in-service where we helped out some local schools that were in a band competition at the Kennedy Center. You know, basically my job was just getting them on and off stage, but the beauty of that was it really reminds you like how important that is for kids. I mean, it really tugs at the heartstrings. I remember like, you know, this is a Monday's first day of being there. 
the Kennedy Center is amazing. I'm just excited to be in D.C. When I'm helping this little girl who's like, you know, dragging at the end of the line, she's really carrying like a tuba. And I says, hey, let me give you a hand there. And I'm carrying the tuba and she, you know, like she wasn't going to ask for help because it's her instrument. And I appreciate that, too. But I was like, let me let me give you a hand. And uh, I realized in walking the tuba up the ramp there that I was like, All right, I'm helping this one music student. But if things go well on Wednesday when I talk to Congress, maybe I can help a lot more. Nice. And it, it's like, you know, uh, really, you know, definitely yeah. warms up the cockles of my cold black heart, you know. <laughs> so um, then, um, you know, we, we got kind of prepped on what was going on with uh, funding, the Every Student Succeeds Act, and how it was appropriated at you know, 1.6, it was only funded at 1.2. Basically, the ask was uh, another $400 million that it had been appropriated for. And uh, I, I ended up meeting up with everybody from Oregon, not all the reps, but um, with uh, Representative Bonamici and uh, both of our senators, along with senators from Iowa and Illinois. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen with that. Honestly, I didn't know what the the results were going to be, um, you know, given the current administration, given the fact that Becky DeVos is Secretary of Education. But I decided that if I was going to represent the state, if I was going to represent this country, I'd do the best I could. And I did, you know, and, and it was a wonderful civics lesson. It was a real honor. Um, I saw some really amazing stuff and got to operate on a real high level. Um, when I got back a few months later, I found out that the funding had been increased. I probably should have made a bigger deal of it in the press, but, you know, I was just one guy trying to help out. But if I helped move that dial a little bit, something I'll be proud of the rest of my life. Definitely. Um, so when we were talking with those folks uh, at the NAM trade show in January, there was a reunion of the folks that had had gone there and, and served and so I went and I took um took Jeremy with me uh and I actually I think Jeep might have been too uh, and at that time uh we decided that both Jeremy and I would go and it's you know uh, I mean then they pick up a little bit of the expense but it's the way I see it is is just sort of a donation to a really good cause a really important cause and so um two weeks from now I'm gonna fly back with Jeremy and we're gonna do the same thing and, um, you know, I'm going gonna, gonna to talk honestly and genuinely because I really believe in it. And I think it would be a different story if somebody had asked me to talk about an infrastructure package or something that maybe I wasn't as clear about. But to me, it's as clear as anything that access to music education is good for school children, not only in the United States, but anywhere. Right. But for sure, where I have maybe the opportunity to speak with um, the folks that make those uh, budgetary decisions, I will do so, and gladly. And uh, I'll represent this state in the best possible light that's available when the opportunity is there. I'm, I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. But yeah, we see an impact, like daily, like you were saying, in the shop and teaching, you know. I mean, and that's that's one thing, and then you know, doing camp amp and things like that at the at the Absolutely, high school. Absolutely, man. So um, yeah, man. Like you know, any kid that finds that place where they didn't have something before, and they find that tribe, they find that interest, that passion. That's that thing, man. Mm -hmm. 
that you can turn somebody that otherwise maybe doesn't have a lot going for them, and you can you can set them free to express themselves, and and you never know how far that ripple will go on. Right. But just the same way that you know people were supportive of me coming up when maybe I didn't have a lot of it at home. Um, if if I can support in some way, can't think of a, a better use of my time while I've got some. Are there any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? FiveStarGuitars.com, <laughs> F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.com, and MetsRyanCollins.com, Ants in the Kitchen Band.com. And, um, let's see, uh, I don't know, man, like, and there's a lot of questions. Well, Joff, thank you for taking the time, sharing your awesome story with us, and we look forward to see what, you know, continues in your journey, you know? Well, thank you, you Danny. I done a lot of cool it, stuff, played a lot of great shows, and uh, you should hear this guy play the guitar. Well, thanks, man. No, I, I appreciate it, man, and, and best to you on all this stuff. That's, that's the thing, man. I always got time. I'm just stoked to, like, hang out with you for a bit, so... Yeah. Thanks so much, Joe. All right. All right. Yeah! Woo! Woo! Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Mm-hmm.